Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. Did you know that if you are a Christian, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ lives in you? As such, we often need to have our temple cleansed and purified by the Lord Jesus who lives in us. Let's open our Bible now to John chapter 2 and look at the incredible purifying power of our Lord and Savior and God, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It's a Monday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all are just having a good morning. Hopefully you had a good weekend in Jesus. Just uh, as we say all the time, just spending time with Jesus, spending time just fellowshipping in Jesus, spending time with others, you know, in Jesus, right? Community in Jesus is a, um, it's pivotal right? Um, hopefully you've spent time in your Bible, just reading and meditating and studying the scriptures, uh, spent time in prayer, um, spent time in worship and praise, right? Um, just, you know, when we spend time thinking about Jesus, thinking about our heavenly father, thinking about the Holy Spirit and thinking about their word, right? We say it all the time, the word of God and the son of God, right? Um, you know, there's, it's, there's, there's no time in our life that's just more productive than that, that's more meaningful than that, that's more helpful to us than that. So thank you, Lord Jesus. So today we're going to finish uh, John chapter two. Um, we're going to finish the story of Jesus clearing the temple. Um, last time we got through verse 17. So today we're going to do verses 18 through 25. Um, just some, some incredible principles in here. We, we say it all the time when we read through these scriptures, um, you know, it's the living word of God, right? Uh, second Timothy three sixteen says that, that all scripture is God breathed, right? And is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness, so, so that the man of God or woman of God um, will be thoroughly equipped uh, for every good work in Jesus Christ our Lord, right? Um, and so when we study this, we don't want to read it, right, Chloe, like it's just a, a cool story, right? We really want to see what's in here for us, right, Rebecca? I mean, what principles are in here for us? And we say it over and over. Uh, Romans 15, 4 says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, was written to instruct us, the other version says. Um, and so when you read the scriptures, you want to see what is it here to teach you. So when we read this story, most of us have just read it like it's something that that happened in the life of Jesus, where he cleared out the temple and made a whip and uh, drove out the money changers. We talk about how he got angry. Um but again, when we study it, it's not just here for a history lesson, right? In principle, right, we see the principles that are in this story. And since Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, um, in principle, right, how Jesus behaves here is how, you know, he'll behave in our life because he never changes, right? Our triune God Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
in principle, they never change. Now, depending on your individual circumstances in mind, there can be, you know, countless millions of applications, right? Depending on, you know, our circumstances and what's going on in our lives. But so when we read it and study it, you know, we look for the principles and how they they apply to our lives and, and our circumstances. And we, you know, we either get encouragement when we see things that are in line or, you know, we uh, we get conviction and we repent when we see that, you know, what is Jesus is clearing this physical temple. You know, the scripture says that that our body right, is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's First Corinthians six. Right. Um, and that Jesus Christ lives in us. Right. Through his Holy Spirit. And, you know, there may be some things in our temple that need to be cleared out, right? Um, things that need to be purified, right? Um, we talked about last time how Jesus, you know, made a whip of cords and then intentionally acted and drove all the, all that was impure out of the temple, all that didn't belong there, right? And uh, certainly, you know, Jesus living in us, right, is... Uh, is looking to drive the impurities that are in our temple, right? We really do want to live a more obedient and holy and Christ-like life. So we're going to go ahead and pray, <clears throat> excuse me, and then we will read the scriptures and we'll get rolling. So Lord Jesus, we do worship you and we thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the living word of God, Lord. We thank you that we, we have a Bible, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word to, to teach us and to instruct us and to convict us, Lord, and to, to build our faith, um, to purify our faith, to refine our faith. Father, we do love you and we thank you and praise you, Father. Uh, again, Father, we just thank you for your mercy on our lives. We thank you for the word of God, Father, and we thank you um, for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures. Give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. All right. John 2, verse 18. Then the Jews demanded of him, What miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days. But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So you recall the last time again, we went for, we did uh, verses 12 to 17. Um, where Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, you know, he's, you know, he, he goes to the temple and in the temple courts, you know, he just sees, um, you know, 
people selling cattle. He just sees, you know, it's just been turned into a market um, of people buying and selling and, um, you know, just a, it's just what happens as we talked about, right? But here it's, you know, it's being used as a place of worship for God, right? Is is being used for self-serving purposes. We talked about how anywhere people gather, you remember we said, you know, scholars say there around 250,000 people would go up to Passover um, in Jerusalem every year. So there were masses of people and wherever masses of people gather, merchants gather to sell their wares, right? And, um, and so they were using the temple courts, right, for, uh, you know, for at like a market. And Jesus actually says to them, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? And we actually spoke about how, you know, in what ways that we have misused or prostituted, you know, the things of God or the word of God or the anointing of God you know, to our own ends, right? Oftentimes, and, and, and I confess I have done this, we, we, we use the gifts of God or our talents, right? Uh, like the prodigal son who took his inheritance from his father and went and used it to his own ends on his own fleshly desires, his own worldly desires, right? And interests. And how often have we, you know, taken our father's inheritance like that prodigal and used it to our own ends, to our own desires, right? How often have we used our gifts and talents, you know, uh, in worldly ways, right? To fulfill our own worldly desires um, more so than we have uh, to glorify Jesus, right? And so there may be some things in our lives, in our heart that Jesus needs to drive out, right? As he did here. And then verse 17, it says his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. And that was uh, Psalm 69, verse 9. And we talked about how they remembered the word of God. It was clear that they had spent time in their Bible because when they saw Jesus doing this, they remembered it in the Old Testament um, in Psalm 69, 9. So we talked about the necessity to know what's written in our Bible so that we can make application of what's in our Bible. Okay, does that make sense? Again, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. So they remembered back in Psalm 69 that it said this, and because they had studied their Bible, because they had spent time in the scripture, they were able to make application of the scripture to what Jesus was doing. Jesus did not tell them that this was the scripture he was walking out. And if they had not been in their Bible, they would not have known it. So again, we talk about this all the time, the necessity of spending time in our Bible, reading and studying and meditating on our Bible. Um, you know, the, the value of it is, you know, uh, you know, we'll never understand it, right? It truly is invaluable, right? Um, so thank you, Lord Jesus. So now, <clears throat> obviously Jesus comes in, he's a young man, he's a 30 year old man. Um, and it, he drives out, you know, everybody that's doing business in this place, right? A place that's to be a place of worship of God, right? Of honoring God. And so in verse 18, it says the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this. You see that? 
Then the Jews demanded of him, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Okay, so they don't know it's Jesus. They don't know who Jesus is here, right? And he's going to make a statement in the next verse that's just, uh, that's overwhelming, although it's clearly that they're not going to understand it. And it says the disciples didn't even understand it until he was raised from the dead, right? But the first thing we notice is here is that they demand of him, right, uh, to explain himself. Um, and, and clearly Jesus does not explain himself, okay? Jesus is doing clearly what he knows is certain to be right, right? Uh, uh, Jesus enters a situation. It's, it's disorderly, right? It's maligning um, God, right? And his person and his word, right? It's being disrespectful to the one true God, right? This temple was meant to be a place, again, of worship and praise and honoring of God. And it's, it's just being used as a hustle, right? As a market. And very possibly, you know, um, people are being manipulated in the name of God, as we talked about last time, um, so people could get more money for their, for their wares, right? Something like, you know, well, this sheep is okay, but God will really be pleased with this sheep. These doves are, these are okay, but God will really be pleased with these doves. So we don't know exactly, but again, it was just, it was just a, a market and a hustle where people were looking to serve themselves, where this was a place we were supposed to come or they were supposed to come and serve the Lord. And again, we talked about how in the church, right, we can be tempted to do these very same things, right? It ought to be a place, right, where we go and serve and worship him. And again, sometimes it can be a place where it's more about us than it is about Jesus, right? Church ought to be a place where we go and we learn about Jesus, we worship Jesus, we praise Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, so again, they make this demand of him. Okay. And they want, they want a miraculous sign. Okay. Um, you can see where their heart is wrong, right? Why didn't they come to Jesus instead of a demand as to, as to why, you know, why are you doing this? Right. Or what sign can you show us of your authority to do all this? First of all, they should have known, right? They should have known that this was out of place right? And that this was improper. Okay. Um, but instead, you know, their, their hearts are hard and, and demanding. Um, Jesus is doing what should have been done. Now, now they, what, perhaps if they had asked him in a humble way, right? Perhaps if they had gone to him and said, you know, Jesus, I, you know, I don't understand, right? I don't understand why this is why you're doing this. I didn't, I really don't understand what was wrong, but that's not the, the attitude that they have, right? They have a, an obstinate, like we're the leaders. Remember this is done at the temple, right? It's in the temple courts, it says. So this is being done with, with the permission, you know, of the big church leaders, right? Of the, of the temple leaders, of the chief priests, of the Sadducees, of the Pharisees, right? Um, you know, they were, you know, it would have been done with their permission. Now, in reality, they should have brought order to this, right? They should have brought order to this long ago, right? 
but they didn't. And so as we talk about, again, the obvious principles here, right, Scott? I mean, what are the areas of our lives where we, like these people, have not brought order, right? Where, where are we living in a way that, that's out of place, where Jesus needs to come in and overturn some tables and bring order, right? And then, you know, here's the thing. When he does it, again, he doesn't explain himself, okay? Um, so the first thing is we want to look inside our lives and see, you know, what do the tables need to be overturned in our lives? What are the places in our temple? Because you remember the scripture says that, you know, our bodies are a temple, right, for Jesus, right? So, so what needs to be cleaned up in our temple, right? What's out of place in our lives that needs to be cleaned up, right? Um, but when they ask for this, again, miraculous sign, and it says they demanded, okay? The first thing is when Jesus does something in our lives, we, we don't make demands of Jesus, okay, Bobby? We do not make demands, May, right? Then the Jews demanded of him, okay? Now, this should be common sense for pretty much all of us, right? But you don't make any demands of Jesus, okay? When we come to Jesus, we ought to posture ourselves in as much humility as possible, right? You know, and, and if we'll do that, you know, we, we stand a far better chance, right? An infinitely better chance of, of getting an answer from him than, than demanding from him. Right. And the irony is they don't even demand they don't even ask for an explanation. They don't ask for, you know, to be to be enlightened as to what they had done wrong. They want a miraculous sign. Right. Now, again, they should have just looked at what he just did and saw that as a sign enough that what was happening here was out of place. Right. So, again, you can see the hard heartedness. And the demands, and again, this demand for some miraculous sign to prove his authority. Um, Jesus obviously doesn't have to prove his authority. Look what he says in 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Verse 20, the Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? 21, but the, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. Okay, you see that? So verse 19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. First question is, why does he speak to them in this riddle? Okay, and Jesus does this consistently in the gospels, right? Why does he not just give them a direct answer to their question? And it's clear it's because their hearts are not right. Okay. It's going to say down at the bottom that, you know, he knows what's in each of our hearts. He knows what's in human beings. He knows. You look it down in verse 24, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. 25, he did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. So when our heart is not right, okay, when our heart really isn't to know the truth and to know what's right and 
you know, we're just we're just playing or we're messing around. We shouldn't expect meaningful and substantial answers from Jesus. Okay. Um, again, they demand from Jesus, which that's their first problem, right? And again, we want to see where we do this in our own lives, right? Um, and then they ask for this miraculous sign. Instead of posturing themselves with humility, and because of that, Jesus speaks to them, right, and uh, and and a riddle that clearly they don't understand, right? You know what miraculous sign can you show us? Jesus says to them, "Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days." Okay. Now, sometimes even when we go to Jesus in humility and we go to Him consistently as His disciples. We still may not understand, right? And again, I don't know why Jesus does this. Um, he doesn't show us the whole picture right away as we're going to see. Um, it unfolds as we live day by day and it helps us to grow our faith. <clears throat> Excuse me, it helps us to grow our faith. And that's exciting, right? <clears throat> Golly, that's good. Um, and so, but look at what he says when he says this. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And he's talking about his body. And I will raise it again in three days. To me, the most pivotal word there is the word I. Remember, it said the temple, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. Jesus didn't say destroy this temple and my father will raise it. Jesus didn't say destroy this temple and the spirit of God will raise it. Jesus said, Chris, destroy this temple and I will raise it. Okay, this is an absolute, very clear scripture that shows that Jesus understood his divinity. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew that he was full-blown God, right? Full-blown God the Son, right? Destroy this temple, and he said, I will raise it, right? Himself. I believe it was what, John 10, 18, he also says, that he will raise it, right? He has the power to pick it up and lay it down, right? Now, it's interesting because um, it also says in the scriptures, right? And we'll put the scriptures there at the bottom. But it also, the scriptures also teach that the Father raised Jesus from the dead. And the scriptures also teach that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, Right? And here is one of the scriptures where it's Jesus himself said, I, you know, will raise it again in three days, right? So it's an exciting deal there, right, Lauren, that, that the resurrection of Christ, right, was a, uh, was a partnership where we find God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all, you know, having being partnered in the resurrection of Christ. Because again, the scriptures teach that the Father raised Jesus from the dead, uh, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus raised himself from the dead. So it's a uh, it, it's very powerful. But again, that word, I will raise it, that's a pretty serious statement, right? That's saying I have the power that, you know, no one does anything, right? He's making it clear that he is full-blown God. Jesus Christ is God Almighty, okay? He's, he, you know, uh, he is the greatest teacher that ever lived, right? The greatest philosopher that ever lived, the greatest prophet that ever lived, the greatest, greatest everything 
that ever lived. But he's more than that. He's full-blown almighty God. Hmm. The Jews replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days. Again, pretty, uh, pretty understandable question or statement, right? Well, it's a question and you're going to raise it in three days, question mark. Um, so they, they obviously have no idea what he's speaking about. Um, and that's not a good thing. The reason we do these Bible studies is so that we know what God is saying to us. The reason you read your Bible is that you know what Jesus is saying to you, what the Spirit of God is saying to you, right? They clearly don't understand what he's saying, right? And again, it's because their heart isn't right. They really don't want to know what Jesus is saying. So, you know... Obviously, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want to give your life to him. Okay? The Bible is clear that all human beings are sinful, right? Romans 3.23 says, everyone is sinned and falls short of God's holy standard. Um, everyone, right? Every human being is sinful, right? Um, and we're hopeless because of that. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves from our sin, right? And we're hopeless, headed to hell. The only solution to save humanity, any human being, if you're a human being today, okay, your only hope is Jesus Christ. My only hope is Jesus Christ. To receive Jesus, you confess and agree that you are a hopeless sinner, that you know that the word of God is true and that you've lived a sinful life. You believe that Jesus Christ came into the world, the son of God, and lived a perfect life for you, died a torturous death for you, as the Bible teaches, and that he is indeed alive and risen. And out of that, out of that understanding and belief, Romans 3.20, I'm sorry, Romans 10.13 declares that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Out of that knowing that you're hopeless and you need a savior, you call out to Jesus and ask him to come into your heart. Lord Jesus, I do ask you to come into my heart and save me from my sin. I believe you are the son of God and I place all my faith and trust and hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian, right? That's, that's the beginning. When you do that, Jesus comes and lives in you and now you're open to hearing from him, right? To knowing his word, to understanding his word. But for those of us who are Christians today, you know, we live in a world where we're just consistently bombarded and, and assaulted. And we, you know, sometimes involve ourselves in worldly conversations, worldly thinking, right? We watch worldly TV, worldly social media, all this kind of stuff. And, and because of that, we don't hear from Jesus as well, right? And so we want to repent of just, you know, anything in our lives, anything in our temple that needs to be cleaned up. We want to ask Jesus to, to clean it up in us that we might better hear him and understand him, right? Because otherwise it could be like this. Jesus could speak something to us and we'll have no idea what he's saying. Like, and I said, even as his disciples, right? If you look here in verse 22, um, it says, after he was raised from the dead, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture in the words that Jesus had spoken. So 
even the disciples, you can be a very disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, and sometimes it's hard to understand what he's saying to us or what he's doing. And this is what I mean when I say it's often a process, right? You may have some things going on in your life now, right? You may have some difficulties in your life, some situations in your life. Certainly all of us have different things, right? And Jesus hasn't revealed it all to you. Even these disciples didn't understand what he was saying. And sometimes we don't understand the circumstances in our lives, the difficulties in our lives, the situations in our lives or in our family or in our marriage or in our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? After he was raised from the dead, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. And so it, that's kind of a heavy verse that then they believed the scripture. And, and the scripture it very probably is talking about is I think it's Psalm 16. I think it's verse 9 or 10. Um, and the scripture says there that you will not let your holy one remain in the grave or decay in the grave. And so that that's probably the scripture that they believed that uh, that God the Father did not leave Jesus in the grave. Um, but again, the interesting thing is it wasn't for another probably three years after this that the puzzle came together for them. Do you see that? After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. So they don't fully understand. They really don't understand the words that he had spoken. And, and it wasn't until after his resurrection when he revealed himself to them that the whole puzzle really came together, right? And so uh, the Christian life is a, is a journey, okay? Um, you know, perhaps you've, perhaps you've heard it, Esther, right? Um, the journey is the destination, right? So the Lord is revealing himself to us little by little by little, moment by moment, puzzle by puzzle. And the more we walk with Christ, right, the more we look back and the puzzle starts to, to come together, right? You can look at your life and see some of the things that Jesus has allowed you to go through, um, things that were good and bad, things that were, were hard and things that were just wonderful, right? And as you look back, right? You begin to, you begin to put the puzzle together, right? So you see how he allows us to just, it's very exciting. You know, I don't like it when I'm in it. You know, most of us don't like it when we're in something that's difficult, but Jesus is, is really, you know, he's really building your life in him moment by moment, day by day. And he doesn't reveal it all at once, right? His very disciples, right? The great disciples we talk about, right? St. Peter, St. John, right? All of these guys. And none of this really made sense to, to them until after his resurrection. And then, wow, the puzzle started coming together, right? And so again, that's how it'll be in our lives, right? Verse 23. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. Now, we're not told the level of faith. Sometimes this could be a, a superficial faith, right? Uh, uh, believe it or not, faith based only on a miracle 
right? Just to believe in Jesus as a, as a miracle worker, okay, is not the reason for which he came. The, the miracles are given so that you believe in him as the Christ, as the Savior, so that you believe in him as your only hope for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul, okay? The miracles are to that end. If you turn to chapter 20 in this book, John gives you the, uh, you know, the reason he writes the book. If you look at, I believe it's verses 30 and 31. Verse 30. This is John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see that? So again, when we read of the miracles of Jesus, okay, you don't go running to him as a, as a miracle worker, although certainly, right, we can go to him and should go to him, right, when we need a miracle, when we need something to be moved in our life. We should press into Jesus, as we talked about in uh, verses 1 to 11, as Mary did when Jesus turned the uh, water into wine. But the, 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 the essence and the foundation of your faith is that that Savior, the reason he's showing you those miracles, the reason he was raised from the dead is so that you would fully trust in the finished work he did at the cross, Peyton, for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Okay, we Above all, we need a Savior. We need to be saved from our sin. Right? It's only in Christ when we have genuine trust and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul. It's then that we have life in his name, like John 20, 31, the last verse in chapter 20 says. It's then that he comes in, comes and lives inside of us and gives us new life, new spiritual life. Okay. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. So again, that's certainly a beginning to, be, to believe in him, that he's a miracle worker. But ultimately, that needs to drive you to the foundation and the necessity and the bottom line necessity of your faith. That is a faith that's trusting and relying on Jesus Christ as your only Lord and Savior knowing your desperate need of him and him as the only solution, right, Uncle Dennis, for the forgiveness of your sin and the salvation of your soul. Thank you, Lord. My, my Uncle Dennis was uh, just had some people doing work at the house and, you know, they, they, they weren't Christians and they thought uh, they thought. They thought Jesus was a good man and a fine prophet. And my Uncle Dennis said, you know, he's the son of God. He's the savior of the world, right? Yeah, just bless me, Uncle Dennis. All right. Many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed in his name. <clears throat> but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all men. He did not need man's testimony about man, for he knew what was in a man. Um, it's an interesting thing that says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them, right? Um, as I was studying for this, it's uh, one of the one of the guys I was reading in the in one of the commentaries made it made a great point that uh, 
you know, that there have been many teachers in the history of the world. And, and certainly this happens to, to you and I and all of us as pastors, right? That we have, uh, we might have been, you know, deceived by those that, uh, that are following us. We might have thought more of people than they really are, right, Tom? Um, you know, um, and, and, and some of that's a good thing. Right. Meaning my brother Tom is always, you know, telling me, John, you think more of everybody than they should. Um, and, and you always that's a good thing. You want to think the best of people. Right. Um, <clears throat> but oftentimes, you know, we uh, we can make the mistake and, and we have not judged people correctly. This has never happened to Jesus. OK, Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. He knows every single thing about every one of us, right, Corinne? He knows every aspect of our lives in every manner and in every way. So Jesus never thinks too highly of us or too lowly of us, right? He knows exactly every bit of us in every manner and in every way. Full-blown God. Verse 25, he did not need man's testimony about man, okay? Whether you or I testify to Jesus he is who he is. He is the savior, whether we believe in him or not. Now, certainly it's our duty to first trust in him, believe on him, rely on him, receive him as our savior and Lord. And then we spend our lives testifying to him, right? And that is our responsibility as Christians and disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, right, Benny? But, but he doesn't need it, Okay. He did not need man's testimony about man. And look what it says. For he knew what was in a man. And that man means humanity. Um, Jesus knows every detail, every aspect, every thought, every consideration in every one of us. And that, that means he, we, we apparently cannot fully be trusted. Okay? Because he said he wouldn't entrust himself. Um. This really is one way. What do we mean by that? It says Jesus would not entrust himself to them. Um, it's, this whole thing is not set up for Jesus to trust us. It's our job to trust him, right? We have to put our full faith and confidence and trust in Jesus Christ alone and then live our day-to-day our -day lives trusting in him and relying on him. Because we, 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 even as Christians, right, we, we still do act in sinful ways oftentimes, right? And it's, it's something we want to continue to grow to do less and less. But, you know, oftentimes we're, we're not trustworthy, right? He knows what's in us. He knows that we have a nature of sin, which he did not have. That's why he was born of a virgin, right? When Jesus was born of a virgin, he did not receive the sinful nature, nature that he would have received through Joseph. So he's born without a sinful nature. You and I, all humanity, we've been conceived with a sinful nature after the fall of Adam and Eve, right? And because of that sinful nature, we come into the world spiritually dead, right? We're conceived and we're naturally alive, but we're spiritually dead when we receive Jesus Christ into our heart, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit becomes one with our spirit and we become spiritually alive and we're one with the spirit of Jesus. We're the bride of Christ, right? We're the body of Christ. So 
Father, we do love you. We bless you. We thank you and we praise you. Again, we just thank you for the incredible word of God. We thank you for another wonderful chapter in John chapter 2, Lord. We thank you for the living word of God. Father, above all, we thank you for our Savior and our Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we worship you and we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for coming and living a perfect life for us and dying a perfect death for us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are alive and risen. Holy Spirit, I do ask you to, 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 to clean up our temple and to uh, just to continue to cleanse us and purify us of all that is in us that is not of you. Um, we do ask you, Holy Spirit, to, to help us to, to walk with you by faith moment by moment, day by day. We ask you to help us to pursue you in a way that we too would believe the scriptures more and more and more and believe the words that Jesus has spoken. Father, we love you and we bless you. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.